0: Imagine waking up early before work and driving or jumping in a cab somewhere, showing up to have an incredible dance celebration with, oh, a couple hundred to a thousand of your besties before work even begins. Well, that is exactly what my guest today, Radha Agrawal, has created. She's the co founder, CEO, and chief community architect of Daybreaker. It's an early morning sober dance celebration happens in more than 25 cities and over a dozen college campuses with a global community of more than a half a million people. She's also a social um, entrepreneur, actually a serial social entrepreneur. She's done it many times over. Author, DJ, inventor, investor, gifted experienced designer, named by MTV as one of the eight women who will change the world. But none of this would have happened had she stuck to her original plan to build a career as a New York City investment banker. In today's conversation, we dive deep into her journey and explore the critical moments of awakening and change, along with the ideas from her new book, Belong, which answers the question, how do I find my people? And how do I create large and meaningful communities in the real world?
2: Yeah, I'm usually just doing my Japanese calisthenics at the at home and a two song dance party in my living room. Okay, Japanese calisthenics. You had tell me about that. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Okay. Well, I'm half Japanese. Right. So, radio uh, taiso, which is like Japanese calisthenics, where in the 1920s the entire country of Japan would do the same calisthenics every single morning together in unison as a country at specific time slots and. And so imagine how cool and connected the community felt, the country of Japan felt when everyone's moving together, right? As a community, mm-hmm. how that connects you in flow and then you go to work, but everyone's kind of connected energetically. No wonder Japan is like, you know, I really believe that Japan's success is attributable to Japanese calisthenics.
0: <laughs> I mean, it's it, there's an interesting argument. Uh, <laughs> it's It's funny because when... I first read that and then that you shared like, okay, so now you're doing this too. I I had this flash. I was my team
2: every day at 3 p.m.
0: Oh, no kidding. Yeah, David oh, breaker's office. Yeah. It's like a really unifying experience. Oh yeah. But I remember walking around Hong Kong, like probably close to 10 years ago now. And I, I I'm an early riser. So just walking around was like really quiet. I was down by the water and I walked by this park and there were like hundreds of people yeah, each other. Yeah,
2: totally. And I was like, this is so poetic. Just like yeah. yeah,
0: I just sat there and I just kind of watched mm-hmm. and it was like I wasn't even moving, but I felt like in some way I was a part of it.
2: Right. And you can join them too. Anybody can join them. And that's what's also really cool. You know, like we uh, we do Japanese scouting sometimes in the park as a team and like we'll just invite people to come and do it with us. That's awesome. You know, yeah.
0: Right. It's not about how well you do. Yeah. Or the perfection. It's just I mean, like, it's, it's, re-
2: honestly, it's actually meant for old ladies sitting down and I do them every morning. I'll I'll, I'll send you a clip of the video on right. YouTube that I use, but it's, yeah, it's literally for old ladies up to little kids. Oh, that's so. awesome. Yeah.
0: So your mom's Japanese. Yep. Dad's from India. Yeah. And you grew up in Montreal. That's right. So you're like this interesting blend of three cultures.
2: Part curry, part sushi, part Canadian (laughs) Canadian bacon.
0: (laughs) So what's it like growing up in that household?
2: Oh my God. It was, I mean, my dad is like, hello, how are you? You know, my my mom is like, you know, like they just like the thickest, beautiful kind of accent. So I got, I have an ear for every kind of, I can tell an Asian from any part of the world, you know, but the household was just, oh my God, full of life. I have identical twin sister and another sister, Yuri. And the three of us were less than a year apart. And our home was like Grand Central Station. My parents were very much proponents of gathering. Mm -hmm. So we would have you know, probably every week people over at our house and we would have huge birthday parties every single year that we would invent games for as a family. And uh, that became a tradition for all of our friends for 18 years until we all went to college. Mm-hmm. We would have these summer parties called Agrapalooza. My last name was Agarwal, So it was like Agrapalooza. My dad had the whistle and he made this whole camp that we would do every, every summer. And then New Year's Eve, Eve on the 30th, we'd have this like intellectual Olympics that my parents would put on in our house where they'd have quizzes with riddles of current events from that year in every single room where you had to decode different riddles to unscramble these letters to, to be the winner of that year's uh, Intellectual Olympics. It was a very entertaining household. And my parents were such creative, incredible parents and very strict, of course, Asians. Right, because they're first generation. Oh yeah, oh yeah, first generation. So very, very strict about school, about studies, about you know, school comes first. If you don't get straight A's, you you can't play sports. They pulled us out of basketball when I was in high school, and uproar of the high school, and my, (laughs) you know, and it was just like a whole. There's a whole thing, but but you know, I'm I'm I really owe everything to them.
0: Yeah. What What was? I mean, it sounds like it was a central gathering place, and they loved. Sounds like they really instilled in you this idea of gathering and also celebration. Like, it sounds like there was no
2: opportunity for celebration that was missed. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Celebration. I mean, Daybreaker is very much a celebration of life. And I think that is so much modeled by my parents and how I was raised. Yeah. It was, I mean, you know, again, there's, there's two parts of it, right? So everything was celebrated, but celebrated in many ways, which is also very, again, Asian philosophy of like in, in, in winning, in victory, you know? So, you know, we, we definitely were pushed to success, to, to succeed because, you know, if we weren't the best, you know, there was a talking to No, but I think, I think, I think, yeah, I think everything was celebrated. Birthdays, family life celebrated so much and, and academics were very celebrated too.
0: Mm. So then what was the expectation about you and like the, the three sisters, like you would, you would go to school and then become.
2: Yeah. Doctors, <laughs> definitely doctors. My dad, you know, until a year and a half ago would say, it's not too late to go to medical school, you know? <laughs> and I was like, dad, I've like achieved a measure of success that I hope you'd be proud of. But I know he is. I know he is. Um, he just came to their first day break. They, my parents both came to their first day two weeks ago.
0: Oh, that's amazing. For the very
2: first time. Yeah. That's it's so really awesome. cool.
0: So you ended up going to school. And then you find yourself in New York.
2: Yeah, well, I went to Cornell University, undergraduate. I played soccer there. I had learned so many lessons just being away, just from family and learning how to be independent. Just because, well, my twin sister with me, but she, she, she and I go hand in hand for every Brilliant. every conversation. Were you guys both at
0: Cornell together? Oh yeah,
2: a bunk and smooched many of the same guys. <laughs> But we're, you know, we're best of friends. So when, it, when whenever you hear like, we, you know, we did this, people are always like, who's we? And I was like, oh, sorry, Mickey and me, you know? So the longest we'd ever been apart until we're 21 was eight days. Wow. Yeah.
0: That's amazing. Yeah. So
2: I was born in community, you know? Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's It's like it was, it, it's literally in your blood. Yeah, truly. So you come to New York. This is early or mid 2001. Two months before 9-11 to the day. Right. And what yeah. was your intention? Why were you coming here?
2: I moved to, to New York because I first, I wanted to live in the city and I got a job as an investment banker, actually. It was also to prove to, again, to my parents. Like, can you tell, like, a lot of my life has to do with my parents. Uh, was to prove to them that I, you know, that a communications major and a minor in film and, and business could get a job on Wall Street <laughs> you know but that wasn't really why it was just like it was my dream move to New York City yeah and so that got us there with a really you know a great way a great way in right.
0: um, so you're both in investment banking yeah
2: B- Mickey and I are both in investment banking starting in like the summer-ish of yeah, 2001. 2001 and then two months later two months later 9-11 happens and boy where were you, where were you guys living at the time what part of the city uh, I was in Brooklyn I was in Brooklyn New York and yeah it comes right back right like it was a moment I'll never forget as long as I live. We, we had just moved our offices to Midtown. So we, I trained the World Trade Center. And, you know, our our the, the the secretary, whatever, of our group comes running in with soot in her hair. And she was just like, I just came from downtown. Something's hit the World Trade Center. So you could go rushing down to the fifth floor, um, the trading floor. And we look at all the TV screens and watch a second plane on like 50 TV screens, like hit. Tower too, and it was just like, uh yeah, it was kind of like it. It hit my whole soul too, right? And like in that moment, I knew, right, the mystery of life is you never know when it's going to end. Yeah. So that moment was like, it's time to pursue your passions, right, right now. Like, what do I care about? You know? Yeah. So investment banking wasn't that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm guessing, like film background and all this other stuff. That was sort of like, okay, so I've checked that box from my parents. And now- yeah, but you
2: know, I have to say that experience of working. 100-hour work weeks for a full year, year and a half, it gave me the tools to be an entrepreneur. You know, it gave me the the, the lack of fear of looking at spreadsheets, it gave me an understanding of of business, even if at 22, I don't understand how they put analysts to work, like, you know, who don't know the first thing about business, but give us all this responsibility. But I learned a lot and I was thrown right into the fire. So I'm very, very grateful for that period of my life, even yeah. if it was suffering.
0: I mean, what... what- what do you think is the
2: single biggest thing that's benefited you coming out of that window? Work ethic, for sure. Understanding numbers, understanding my way around Excel, understanding sort of understanding of of finance in general and, and how and how business works. You know, we were in the M and A sort of department, if you will, uh, group of of uh, CIBC. So, yes, yeah, so I got to really see you know kind of the inner workings of of how how shit works.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's amazing. We have, a, we were talking before we came on air about it. You and I had like a freakish number of similarities. So <laughs> I was an MA securities lawyer in a past life and I worked at the SEC. I was actually, I worked down at the World Trade Center before 9 11 when the very first attack happened. And we were, I was at the SEC back then and we were, I literally went out to lunch for pizza and we came back and it's like madness was going on. And then, you know, still a like long time New Yorker when, when, you know, 9 11 happened. And it's funny though, because, you know, I was, I went to, by then I was long, long time out of the law. I had done a stint in a large firm before that, where I was doing similarly, like I was working with investment bankers. We're all working ourselves to death, to the bone. It
2: was nightmarish.
0: People people (laughs) often ask me this similar question. They're like, do you regret all of it? Did like, and I'm like, you know, the one thing that the most powerful thing that came out of that window was just like you said, it was like. Somebody could put something on your desk and be like and you look at it, you're like, this is impossible to <laughs> do. And then you do it. Totally. If you just understand that you are capable of so much right.
2: more. Right. I think I fit I think we probably both fit, you know, two days in one every day. <laughs> Truly. You know? Yeah. That's it, so that's so wild.
0: Yeah, it's kinda. What crazy. was your
2: experience of 9-11?
0: <sighs> Horrendous, just like everyone else. I, I was I was living in the house kitchen at the time and married, new home, three month old baby. And I had signed a six year lease for a floor in a building to open a yoga studio the day before. Oh and I woke up that morning and I was like, Wow, my world is different. And of course, like like everybody here, like we were all the first thing we're thinking about is who did who do we know? Because everybody knew someone. Right. And then I was like, Okay, so where do we go from here? And I had a similar awakening to you. I had already kind of like left the path That's and right. Um, but I was about to open a company and I was like, hmm, uh, so <laughs> am I what actually you- going to do this? We had, we opened it two months later and it was an amazing community for healing.
2: I mean, are you kidding? I mean, back then too, yoga, I feel like was still kind of a buzzword. It was. You know? It was kind
0: of like nobody could pronounce the name of their <laughs> studios. It was like. <laughs> totally. Yeah. People were a little freaked out by all the incense. and.
2: How long did you have it for? Seven years. Wow. Um, yeah.
0: So it was really, it, it was a powerful experience, but, but back to you. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I could interview you.
0: So, so you go from there and this is a wake up call for you and you're like, okay, so this is like, I've learned a lot from this, but yep. this is like, okay, this is not what I want to spend my days doing. Totally. So, so f- like back at that moment, did you have a sense for what was what you wanted to do. Well,
2: I just, actually, yes. I was like, if I were to die tomorrow, what would I want to do? And at the time, I was obsessed with the film business. Like, that's what I thought I wanted to be in. I wanted to be a filmmaker. I wanted to be, you know, sort of, you know, making, making, telling stories. And, and so my entire group was laid off from, from CIBC because we covered, we were MA, with from airlines, gaming and lodging. Oh so, so it was like, like, yeah, like it's like gone. decimated. Yeah, right. yeah. Especially casinos and that whole world, gaming, lodging. So, so, so our entire group was, was, was laid off. They put us up at this like outplacement agency where they help you like find a new job in financial what, services or whatever. And I go to the lady, it was like my turn, or whatever, to be like, you know, interviewed. By this woman to be like, where do you want to go next? And I said, "Listen, lady, <laughs> like I don't ever want to I don't ever want to be in investment banking ever again." Do you know anybody in the film business? <laughs> and then she said, "Well, that's not what we do here, but I like you, and we had to, again come back to community again. It's like this rapport, human connection, and we just had a wonderful connection." So she said, "Look, I have a childhood friend." who I, I haven't spoken to in about 10 years, who's an agent for for some of the top film and television directors in the world, like the Coen brothers and Christopher Guest and Albert Brooks and Baz Luhrmann and all these amazing, amazing filmmakers, film directors. And I was like, cool. Like, right. I, like as she's saying this, like what's happening in your I'm just heart? Like, it's like your heart whoa. jumping out of your chest. Yeah, like, wow. I'm just like, whoa, that would be such a huge, beautiful favor that she would do for a young woman, you know? So she connected me with with this guy, Carl, Carl Forsberg. What's up, Carl? And I went to meet with him, and, and I didn't really want to be an agent, you know? Like, he was an agent. But then him and his partner, Douglas, the two of them just totally... Just won me over with their spirit and their attitude and their kind of hey, like you'll peel back the curtain. We'll peel back the curtain to the entire industry for you, but for TV commercials, not for film, but for TV. So then I got, then I spent six years learning how to tell stories in 30 seconds. So again, a beautiful sort of business school for marketing and advertising, you know, and telling stories and, you know, understanding how to make, you know, Apple computers look beautiful and how to make cans of soda look super delectable, right? Like all this all these aspects of of the film of, of the TV commercial world that you don't really think much of the level of thought and care that is put into every detail for these larger companies is it was was an incredible education to watch and learn from and be around all these incredible creatives who are really lending their their sort of mind to making beer cans look beautiful. So I just was like in awe honestly of of that level of creativity and and thinking. um, and it really took me on this whole path of creative storytelling and for, as it relates to products. So in the future, you know, that led to, you know, development, I way and developed daybreaker and things and all the products. I had all of, all of this, you know, sort of six years of, yeah, so of you school. had to tell the story tell, for a product yes. or
0: brand. Yes. Yeah.
2: And, and just like, and, and even things like, you know, the color choices and logo style. like there's so much around products that, 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 that brand has everything to do with. And, And community building is one of those things we're talking about that today. But in community, you know, most community builders don't think about brand. You know, they don't think about logos or color palettes or font choices or how much breathing room is around a word or an image. You know, but it matters. It matters especially today, where kids are swiping and adding filters on their social media. So that that education, that moment in my life, really. Pushed me towards an understanding of, of creative of sort of the creative storytelling. Yeah, I mean, how powerful to
0: have that experience yeah. <laughs> at that moment. In time. Exactly. So what? So you so
2: finance for you know to understand numbers. Right. And then five six years of marketing and right. storytelling brand building. Story brand telling. building. Exactly. So
0: after after five or six years, what makes you be like, huh? Like this is um this isn't doing it for me anymore.
2: So well, in that time, about you know four years, five years into it, um, I was like twenty six years old. I'd moved to Miami. i followed a guy. Fell in love you know, as you do. Met some guy, left all my friends, quit my job, the whole thing. I became an agent for another director out in Miami. And then my sister called me and she said, Hey, I'm opening my first restaurant. And and she said I need help. So I I went back to New York to help her open the restaurant and, you know, left my engagement, left my house, the whole, you know, the whole my whole life in Miami that I had for now two years and moved back to New York to help my sister open up our first, our very first restaurant.
0: Okay. So we can't just jump over that. Okay. It's <laughs> just like, cause so something like, as you said, you and your sister, are, you know, like tight, 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 yeah. tight. So you felt powerfully enough about like that you were willing to move away from New York, move into And then something like you feel powerful enough so that you're willing to basically abandon the life that you had and, and the
2: relationship that you had started building in Miami to go back to
0: your sister. Yeah. What, what was happening like like in a bigger picture? It was here?
2: like divine intervention every time. You know, I really believe that. Like this, I mean, just a like wild sort of quick story is that this guy who was one of my clients had hired one of my directors for one of his TV commercials. He's a cyclist. I'm a cyclist. Went for a bike ride. He crashed his bike, broke like six ribs, broke his back, broke So he spent like two weeks in the hospital together. And we fell in love, you know. And you know, when you have the intense Florence Nightingale moment with somebody, you just deeply connect with them. And I just was so kind of in love that I, I said, and I, I needed to escape in that moment. I was there was just a kind of not the greatest environment at my office as an agent. I just wasn't feeling the purpose anymore in what I was doing, and I wanted, I just longed to have more purpose. So I just made him my purpose, you know, so I moved to to Miami sight unseen. We bought a house together, you know, m- got engaged in a year, You're building, a life. building a life Miami, you know, riding motorcycles every weekend, you know, the whole the whole kit and caboodle. But then in that time, I also had this deep longing and realizing that, you know, you can't give everything to just one person, you know, I had a mission and, and, and a purpose that I knew was larger than just me in this, in this life that I was living. And so when Mickey called me, it was almost like, she was like, Hey, I'm, I'm picking, I'm plucking you out of this potential housewife situation. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I am throwing you back into the, like the, so I really have. So she kind of like, did she, she know before you that like this, it was time to go? I don't think, so. I mean, I don't think she did it purposefully. I think she was just like, I mean, I think yeah, maybe, maybe she did. But I mean, I don't know if it was purposeful, instinctive, divine intervention that came through her, that I needed the escape of coming back to New York as well. Um yeah, it was a mix of things, but yeah, she's always been, you know, sort of my biggest inspiration, my closest ally. So if she needed me, I was going to be there, you know, for her.
0: So she, so she's like, hey, we're opening a restaurant in New York. Yeah,
2: she'd raised the money already for it. The brows you know, broke ground already, and I was just like itching to support her and and help out. And so then I moved back to New York. We had these like zany, like hilarious, like marketing schemes to like get people to come into our, our pizza. Like what? Sh- Tell me what. Do you oh remember my God. any of them? Yes, of course I do. So one of them was we auditioned for a reality TV show, the ABC, like primetime reality TV show. <laughs> we were like 26 years old, you know? And it was like ABC. It was like, you know, picking eight New Yorkers and giving us a, a mansion on Fire Island and they'll film our lives. And we were like, ooh, free marketing for the restaurant. So we auditioned and got on and and then spent the whole summer running away from the cameras because it turned out to be like a hilarious drama. But again, you know, a lot of people came to the restaurant because they saw, you know, the first three episodes before it was canceled. <laughs> and then and then nothing we did was we went to the local gym down the street and we tried to do tastings there. And they kicked us out. They were like, "Get out of here! We don't do tastings of pizza at our at our fitness." We're like, "No, but it's healthy pizza. It's you know, and it's organic." And like, "What's organic?" You know, like back then they didn't know what organic totally was. Totally different than now. So yeah. we, Mickey and I, went and auditioned to become spin instructors. And then so that weekend we got a three day spin instructor group fitness certificate, and we went back and they didn't recognize me. I don't think, but I probably pulled my hair back or something. But I auditioned to be a spin instructor at the same fitness studio down the street, and they. And they gave me the job, so once a week I started teaching there. And after like a couple of weeks, I said, "Hey, I have this restaurant down the street. Can I do tasting?" And by then, I ingratiated myself with all the managers, and they let me do it. And we double our business. We doubled our business overnight.
0: So you literally like became a spin instructor, so like as yeah. a as a marketing channel yes. for the restaurant. I, I I still love that on so many levels.
2: <laughs> and then, but then I fell in love with spinning because so I taught for eight years, and I had then one of my students became like invested eighty thousand dollars in another business that I started called super sprouts after i left the restaurant mickey and i realized that we're best at cheerleading and supporting each other probably not best to be two awful females in a room together building and and, uh, growing a company together and so we we, for example we started things together but then i was like look mickey i'm too swamped on super sprouts was my kid's company um, that my student invested eighty thousand dollars in i ran that for five years and mickey i mickey and i started things together so what was Superspouts before we
0: sort of just- Oh yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. So,
2: so Superspouts, I ran for five years. I raised like $5 million for it. It was like Sesame Street for nutrition education. So I got very deeply interested in in childhood obesity issues. When kids would come into my restaurant, and they would order just cheese pizza on our, in the pizzeria. Every day after day after day. And I was like, like, parents would say, hey, plain cheese pizza, no green stuff on the pizzas. And I was like, what are you talking about? The green stuff is the good stuff. So then I started digging around my investment banking analyst mind came back in and I audited the entire industry. And I'm like, wow, Sesame Street teaches about literacy. Captain Planet teaches about the environment. the Explorer teaches about Spanish language learning. But who's teaching our kids about food? Nobody's teaching our kids about food in a fun and playful way that's not like eat your vegetables so I developed I wrote five children's books I developed you know fifty videos I you know worked with Michelle Obama and Sam Cass, and I spent five years of my life building this thing but you know we we ended up impacting like a million kids on the country with curriculum opened the first salad bar program in Compton this has ever had, so one hundred and twenty schools in Compton had their first salad bar program opened up in Puerto Rico like the large obesity. Epidemic in the, in the world um, is in is in Puerto Rico. So, like,
0: what's driving you through that through that window of time? I mean, you've got like the intersection of yes, you're playing and co creating with your sister. Yes, there's some there, there's some seems like some bigger health sort of like thing that's running through everything, yeah. and there's a process of creation. Yeah, totally. Was was there? was it just a blend of that? Was there something else?
2: I don't I mean, I think you know, I think it was also the brainwashing of, again, growing up of like, you must be a doctor, mm-hmm. right? Maybe in some ways, that sort of bled into this idea that, I don't want to ever be a doctor. Not interested, but preventative health is actually very interesting to me. It's a different way in, a much more creative way in to not just putting a bandaid on the problem, but to solving the problem. Yeah. It's right? It's so
0: interesting the way we hold on to that stuff from our yeah. childhood. It's like well, it I keeps mean, sneaking back. I think in, this is right? probably
2: the first time I've put that together. But I think, I mean, also to be honest with you, just like watching kids in New York City going from Canada, and Canada has a really healthy culture to an American society where everywhere i turned there was a, an overweight child like i'm um, like really unhealthy overweight child and it was very it was very jarring for me i actually cried a lot about it you know and i just remember feeling just like why and then i would actually go and ask the mothers like hey just curious like what you know and and i learned from these moms that a they live in food deserts b they have no education around it c you know they have no time for it so except, you know so it's it's a mix of all those things that created these these issues and um and the other piece is they just didn't have a way they a way in to talk up to talk about food to their kids, so that was what got me really interested too but I think so I think it's a host of reasons right that you do anything, but I also knew that I'd never want to bring a child into the world where where they didn't have the tools. I didn't have the tools to give them sort of a very healthy upbringing too but yeah, I was five years and a half and then I was like a whole doozy of of just like a hostile takeover and just like a whole thing of. Misaligned investors and and having to to sort of leave the company kind of abruptly, which was one of the most heartbreaking experiences of my entire entire life. Like five years, you know, gone in a flash. But I think you know every experience that you have in life, it it just makes you stronger. And and I you know I really feel like. All of those tools have led me to where I am today, which is, you know, with Daybreaker, we have no investors. It's just us. We're creating this beautiful community around the world and supported by the community for the community. So it's a, it's a, it's such a beautiful concept that's not driven by, Ebitda and next quarter earnings, which you know, which sort of every single company is, you know, is 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 under the golden handcuffs of right. Like whenever I hear my masculine friends being, like, I just raised thirty million dollars. I'm like, dude, are you that no? I'm like, but also no. It's is you're now with three million dollars in debt. Like it's not you raised. You're now in debt. You know. So I think we that we've totally screwed up. The perception of what fundraising is, you know, and, and I'm very much a big advocate now for really, really thoughtful growth and really, really evergreen sort of year over year. Yeah. Sort of thoughtful um, profitability, you know, and I tell my team all the time, I'm like, if we have kind of an undulating wave, like, Kind of next ten years, where some years are are are, are less, you know, revenue generating than other years. I'm not gonna freak out. You know, we're we're gonna have a beautiful life together, no matter what. And as long as it's sort of slowly going up, you know, that's way better than having hockey stick growth with a very steep and sharp kind of descend. And included in that is an anxiety attack, a nervous breakdown, and everything that I've heard from all of my friends who are Fortune 500 CEOs.
0: one place. And right now, download NetSuite's popular KPI checklist designed to give you consistently excellent performance, absolutely free at netsuite.com slash goodlife. That's netsuite.com slash goodlife to get your own KPI checklist. netsuite.com slash goodlife. It's so interesting the, the stories we tell ourselves about what yeah. success means in the world of entrepreneurship totally. and founders, especially because most of that is coming out of the world of tech these days. Mm-hmm. And it's like a couple of years back, somebody you know, Amy Hoy coined this term entrepreneur, which, which, which I love.
2: <laughs> it's so good you know, because
0: it's really, it's like everyone wants to tell these crazy stories about like, yeah, the team were like crazy, crazy, crazy. And then boom, we exploded and we're a new, we're a unicorn. And then we exited at a gazillion dollars. And it's like, but you know, you're telling the story of like, you know, one tenth of one tenth of one tenth of, of the people who go into it and. And also, it's you're you're modeling the wrong reasons, right? It's the wrong reasons, and it's and most people get destroyed along the way. And and is that really why you're here? Right. Even if you make it, I like. I'm sure you've seen this too. So many, I know so many people that have succeeded by sort of traditional metrics. Their ROI is what it needs to be. They're returning to their investors. They're setting up for exit and they are miserable going into work at the company that it's they've built every day. I'm like I'm like what what how is that success?
2: I know. No, that's it. and I, and I, I it's that's exactly it. And I and I think I've seen that now enough times and I've also been the victim of that myself in my previous companies to know I'm and I'm so young still to know that that's not I've you know, more than half my life and my career left, way more than half my, my life and, and career left. And it's just exciting to know that I've made so many of those mistakes. Early on, yeah, just them out of the way. <laughs> yeah, like misaligned investors, also, we'll, we'll, like we'll you make know, plenty more, more yeah, leading with like. fear, not with abundance. Like I led a lot. My, my one of my businesses, Super Sprouts, particularly, I was like li- living with le- leading with such a fear-based mindset, not an abundance-based mindset. What was it fear of at that point? Fear of going out of business. Fear of disappointing my my investors. Fear of you know disappointing myself. Fear of being a failure. Fear of not achieving the goals of Super Sprouts to eradicate childhood obesity. Fear. There's just so many fears, right? And, and I mean, and, and also just, yeah, I just, just, and also fear of not loving exactly what I was doing every day, you know, and, and wanting willing me to sort of love going into work every day, but feeling, but just feeling so micromanaged by my investors and, and, and what I, that, that I just was so scarred by it. And then now, you know, when I came into Daybreaker and I built the, commu- the team there, it's so, it's just, it's just like such a an, an complete 180, no investors, no stress of, of the quarterly or weekly or <laughs> daily phone calls. Like I used to get the talks with me, you know, and, and my, and my boss is the community, you know? And so that's, that's, that's such a mindset shift. It's such a sort of a purpose shift and it keeps me totally authentic to the mission. You know, so share what 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 exactly is Daybreaker and how did that come to be?
0: Because we kind of left the story at okay, yeah. So, we're
2: well, done then thinks started yeah, right. well, so okay, just a kind of quick segue. Then then during Super Sprouts, we launched Thinks as a Kickstarter project. Mickey and I, you know, we were heavy bleeders. We're Indian, you know, Japanese, and just like heavy bleeders and we'd be in investor meetings all the time and just have these embarrassing moments, leak stains, you know, whatever. So we, we sort of got our curious hats on again, like we do often together. And we started just tinkering around and calling up different manufacturers in China and sort of melding, you know, molding fabric, getting fabrics together to invent the kind of the first ever, you know, period underwear solution and launch on Kickstarter 2013, and we've seen ads like all over the subway yeah. in New York at this point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. But that's when sort of my sister took over and, and led the team. So so she and I and our friend Antonia kicked it off, started it off, and then I just was so sort of bogged down with with Super Sprouts that I just didn't have time to give to to things. And so she and Antonia took it over. I mean, I'm still you know third partner. I'm still a partner in things, you know, and 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 an inventor of the underwear, but it just, I'm so in in honor and, and in awe of how my sister took the, took the idea and built it to what it is. You know? So,
0: so you go from investment banking to media, entertainment, film, TV, to restaurant industry, to media, media, health, nutrition, children's, and, and education to underwear. And so there's, I mean, there's, It's kind of astonishing. It's like, do you feel risk?
2: Yes. That's what's interesting, right? Like, I I do feel risk, but I do also know one of one when I see it, right? So my sister and I always say, is this one of one? Mm -hmm. So- the pizzeria. It was the only organic farm and table pizzeria in New York City in 2005 where we served different gluten-free crusts, you know, different sort of dairy-free cheeses on the pizza. There is, you know, there's what, you know, what is it? We eat 100 football fields of pizza every day. But yet there's not a single, but yet one in four Americans are lactose intolerant. And yet we, there was no lactose-free pizza in New York City. So we were like, okay, we're one of one. So no matter what, we're serving a niche client, right? Super Sprouts was one of one. There was no ses- Sesame Street for Nutrition Education, right? And all of them, by the way, are social enterprises. Like that's something that's also the through line of everything that we do. The underwear, one of one, super, yeah, so I think you said super, one of one. And then Daybreaker is one of one. So everything that we create isn't just an, another T-shirt with another logo on it or like a new kind of sock or a new kind of shoe or whatever, you know, other than if the sock is like, you know, is like has some ballistic heel or toe or whatever, you know, kind of added to it. But yeah, I think that's really what we look at is like, how can we continue to be the first to market with the first of its kind of product or service. Like Daybreaker, so Daybreaker is an early morning dance community. We wake up at 6 a.m. at sunrise before people go to work on a weekday morning and people dance their butts off without substances. So no alcohol, no drugs, no and we serve green juice, coffee and tea. We we replace the bouncers with a hugging committee. (laughs) You know, we add performative elements. So imagine at 6 a.m. when you just got out of bed on a Wednesday morning before going to work, you see fire spinners and aerial and breakdancers and a horn section and dueling violinists and acro yogis, you know, kind of jumping in the air and and then a thousand people exulting and dancing. And that's daybreaker. And, and the idea was, and you know, so the first hour is yoga, the second two hours is a dance party, it's a three-hour experience. And the whole idea is to just deeply transform your day and then transform your month before the next one you know and the whole idea is that we live life that's just so routine and, and our entertainment experience right now is at night nighttime only when we're tired and we don't have we're hopping ourselves up on, on drugs and alcohol because we are exhausted the energy of when you walk into an environment like a club is is very different so like I'll walk into a night club or whatever and I'm the energy levels of every person there that they're emanating is is very is kind of all over the place, right? So it's jarring for me as an empath. And the morning when you go to daybreaker, everyone's energy is the same. It's optimistic and bright and fresh and new, like right from their bed. So it's just like this vibration that I can't even explain unless you have to just come and be there. So we blew up. We we launched in, t- in 2013 in New York City. We had our first one in New York City, and I have my community to to, to thank for that. So like, you know, the the big kind of backstory there is. You know, after the after the restaurant, after, after there's so many moments where I was like, "Where are my people at?" You know, and at 30 years old, and that's the beginning of my book, "Belong." You know, I looked myself in the mirror and I realized I didn't belong, and that I spent my 20s in sports bars or hanging out with people who are inspiring, and then really, you know, taking the time to get intentional about my community, which I also read on your website mm-hmm. is a big part of what, part. yeah, is what you're about, An intentional community and. I just kind of created these exercises for myself and and really began this quest for where are my personal people at before I go out to build my next business or my next community or my next, whatever it may be. I first have to feel fully safe and in belonging, and, and you know, in my own life. You know, I think so many people in community building that I've seen are looking for answers outside of themselves. Whereas the answers start from within first. And so many of the community that I've been interviewed have said to me that they, feel like outsiders on, on looking in on the communities that they've built themselves yeah totally. you know and so for me I, you know I, I learned all those lessons early on in my career and just in my 20s so i just knew okay this is the time to be generous and with my energy generous people who i meet if i love someone instead of just hoarding them to myself i'll introduce them to other people to make sure that ever and then all of a sudden there's a community that will be built if like-minded people meet each other, and yes, they might hang out without me, but I'm not going to feel FOMO, <laughs> you know. And so I think there's that level of trust and 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 generosity that you have to have, and just saying "fuck it," like I'm going to introduce as many people as I can to each other. I'm going to just open up my rolodex so that everyone can connect with one another, and that was the beginning of of this incredible. Community journey for me, which then led to Daybreaker and which then led, led, you know, so on and so forth.
0: So. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting because the, like your other businesses to a certain extent were okay, I'm going to take what I see and take my skills and I'm going to scratch somebody else's itch because I can see the itch and maybe nobody else can. Whereas this was very much like you're scratching your own itch with Daybreaker.
2: Like it grew out of that, which is like it's that's a change for you. Well, Thinks was too actually. You know, Thinks yeah, was nice. born out of the fact that I didn't have a solution for my own heavy bleeding. <laughs> but but yes, I mean I think that all the businesses that have succeeded for me have been the ones that I've personally suffered you know from yeah. as well. And I think that's actually a really an important note and distinction to share with with all the listeners is is just start with what sucks in your world. You know, what is it that you're struggling with. That's my sister's mantra is, is what sucks in your world. You know, does it suck for a lot of people? And then can you be passionate about this issue, cause or community for a long time? So, yeah. Which is funny again, because when you go back to the
0: traditional business world, they're, it's entirely focused on what sucks. Yeah. You know, but of course they use customer like or product market fit <laughs> right. as, as like the blah, 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 boring version right, right. of what right. sucks in your, yeah. but the passion side also like what I would call product maker fit, like it, everyone ignores that. It's like, but nothing's gonna get you through the really hard times. And everything you try and build, it's gonna even if it starts easy, at some point it's gonna suck for you. It's gonna get brutally hard. And if you don't have that inner thing, like that deep sense of connection to it, you're gonna
2: bail. Totally. And that's the thing. Like I looked at I looked at Daybreaker when I started that and I just was like I literally will dance until I die. Like I will be 99, the old lady with the dentures. Hopefully by then they will be like bionic teeth, right. you know, and I'll be the one dancing on the dance floor with my brand new bionic, you know, joints and stuff. But, but I think, yeah, I think, this is something I, well, I will do Daybreak for the rest of my life and it's something that I, I feel so excited about bringing joy and silliness and playfulness to the world yeah I mean like it's grown now we're 25 cities around the world right, it's we're a incredible. community of half a million people and we're not stopping anytime soon Like we're, on, we're now on college campuses as well we're really focusing on the fact that college students are really dealing with an alcohol and drug abuse issue and a depression anxiety issue largely related to the alcohol and drug abuse issue you have a 17 year old daughter she's in school and i'm sure that she's probably having to shield herself from that all the time. So, you know, we've taken you know, my 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 fiance's younger brother, you know, had three friends commit suicide because, you know, when they were in college Turns out, you know, suicide is contagious, and they're dealing with depression, anxiety as well. There's lots of stuff happening, and so for me, my dharma is is truly to bring more play and and kind of spaces for people to gather and connect and dance and do it safely and and do do it it in a way where it's
0: like elevating rather than numbing.
2: Yes, and and so much of also the conscious world can be very serious, you know, and and I think that's the other piece that I've been very focused on trying to. Kind of not stay away from, but, but I think there's a lot of judgment there too. I think it's interesting. You know, you'll go to yoga class and and the and the person next to you will be like, You're too close to my mat, <laughs> you know? And I'm just like, oh. But sorry. In New York is like a quarter of an inch. <laughs> I know, I know. And so so it's like I just always ask myself, okay, well, what is conscious anyway? You know, what is a conscious community anyway? What is a conscious human anyway? Is it just going to yoga? The act of going to yoga, does that make you a conscious person? Is the act of eating from whole foods make you a conscious human? Or is it actually the you know, sort of the interest in connecting with others. Is it the interest in connecting with your planet? Is it the interest in talking to someone in the street who's homeless or whatever it may be who's experiencing homelessness? So I've 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 learned so much from the daybreaker community about qu- what conscious actually means, mm-hmm. and it's not just about you know talking about being conscious, but actually living in it. You know, our community members, I watch them every time a daybreaker and. I'll see, you know, someone come, you know, who could come by themselves and three community members would go and introduce themselves, you know, kind of unsolicited, not by, not asked by any of our neighborhood community member, daybreaker team to go and do that. But I just watched that level of generosity of spirit happening constantly at our events. And that gives me so much hope.
0: Yeah. Uh, you know. And that's amazing. And, and that comes, I mean, that comes from you. It comes at, at its source. It comes from you. It comes from the people. you're But it's also, it comes from a lot of the ideas that you share in your book you know, because I think on occasion, you know, stuff like that just kind of randomly happens. You know, we were talking a little bit, we've, for, for five years, we've run this summer camp for grownups and, and, and I've been to enough events and enough gatherings and stuff like that. And I've walked in and felt instantly uncomfortable. Totally. <laughs> Where, cause I'm not the per- type of person that walks into it and I'm like, Hey, I'm here, let's party. It's just not, it's not my wiring. So we become hypersensitive to like, What are the touch points that we need to create? What are the values that we need to have in place? And like, that's the work that you've done. And that's a lot of the conversation that you share and that you're sort of like going deeper into. And I want to talk about that, but there's something else that you brought up that I want to circle back to first, because fundamentally underneath all of that is is self-awareness, self-knowledge.
2: Well, that is that is literally chapter one of my book is is gentle self-awareness. You know, I think awareness can actually be quite harsh, right? Like, sir, are you aware of how fast we're going in the lane just now, right? Sorry, officer, right? So awareness can be really harsh when you do the work. And sometimes you get trapped in your own awareness, right? So I think gentle self-awareness, being gently self-aware of how you're showing up. When you walk into a room, are you bringing the room down? Are you rolling your eyes all the time? Are you being a negative Nelly? Are you being a shoulder shoulder? Are you saying yep? Or are you saying yes? enthusiastically uh, with exclamation point, right? Like how are you showing up? And I think that self awareness is such an if that is the sort of the cornerstone and the the first level of finding your tribe is who are you? How are you experiencing the world? How is the world experiencing you? The first exercise I did for myself was this three column list. Column one was all the qualities I was looking for in a friend, right? Column two was all the qualities I didn't want in a friend. It's all in my book. But column three was all the qualities I needed to embody in order to attract the friends that I wanted. So I need to be less of a workaholic. I need to be less flaky. I need to be a better listener. I need to be, you know, more just like more patient. Right. And 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 so that awareness, that self awareness made me realize okay, wow, well, I'm clearly I'm showing up in this way, which is attracting this kind of friend. So what if I actually went back to the essence of who I am, which is a kind, open, caring, you know, silly person, not putting on the air of, I'm too cool for school and I'm going to wear makeup and whatever to go out on weekends. Cause that's what all the, everyone else is doing. I'm going to return to who I am, which is this quirky unicorn wearing whatever onesie, you know, like person. And, 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 and then from that kind of space of radiating who I am from the inside out was I able to actually find the most incredible lights who who were attracted to me too, right? So it really starts from within and that self-awareness is is something I work on every day, you know. There's certainly moments every day where I, you know, I can see outside of myself and I'm upset about something or I'm hormonal from being pregnant or whatever and I know that's happening and I know I can I know I can can be more aware of how I, you know, how I may be sharing my words or whatever to my assistant or whoever, whoever else it may be, my partner. But I am very, very self-aware. Yeah, and yeah. I think that's the first, the first piece.
0: No, I totally agree. And I think, but but it's so easy too to sort of you go to that place. You're like, yes, I'm self-aware. I'm being myself. I'm bringing like all the goofy, silly, whatever it is, and and now I'm attracting all these uh, these people around me, and they're like for the first time, oh, they're actually my people. But then there's also. I'm curious whether you found this. Like, I think there are moments where we get a little bit spooked and we find ourselves reverting and like throwing up a bit more of a facade again. It's like we're hiding for some reason. And then stuff starts, you're like, okay, so I'm not really loving what I'm doing or where I'm around it. We don't really realize that the reason is because we just built a wall again. And then people don't want the wall. They want the real oh us. God
2: it's it was, but I, this happens to me when i go to conferences there's particular some particular conferences but where everybody's killing it <laughs> i'm just killing it everyone's just killing it you know and of course like you know, I've I've worked so hard to shed my masculine sort of like because I really I dominated me for so long trying to keep up with men and entrepreneurship. After Burning Man, actually, I realized the power in my feminine, in my divine feminine. So I really began, you know, shedding the need to show my, you know, be like beating my chest all the time but i do find that i revert back to my masculine when i'm in those types of masculine environments where everyone's like how much did you raise how much did you raise i you know and and what can you do for me you know right. what, I like, like, what,
1: what but, am i doing i know <laughs> so. and then
2: and then i find myself mirroring i do a lot of mirroring and and then I catch myself and my partner, Eli, is always like, what was that? And I'm <laughs> like, and, and he keeps me so honest. And I'm like, babe, I don't know. Something came over me, an alien took over my body. I have no idea what just happened. But clearly I was uncomfortable and the person in front of me made me uncomfortable. And so I put on this this mask, you know, and, and I'm working really, really hard to be fully authentic in who I am at every moment. But that's a daily practice. Yeah, totally. You
0: know? I mean, that's like a lifelong yeah. thing. <laughs> it's yeah. It's like, because at some point, something else is going to trigger you. It's totally. It's going to bring you back to that place where, like, eh, totally. Yeah. I just want to be accepted. Like everybody, we all go there. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like this. we're human beings at the end of the day.
2: Exactly. Good Life
0: Project is sponsored by Lexus GX. So have you ever owned something that inspired you to just up your game? For me, it was this high end mountain bike. I love the ultralight frame, the suspension, the precision gearing. And I realized it deserved to be ridden to its... full potential. So I started training harder so I could experience the joy it could give back to me and it paid off. That bike helped me discover just new levels of performance and straight up joy. So once you start to sort of like build on this really deep self-knowledge, I love the three columns that you made. You also talk about like going deeper into your values and your interests and your abilities yeah. and really identifying like that. And like, then you can turn out to the world and say, okay, so, so I get who I am now and I get what fills me up and I get what empties me out. And now, now let me find people that resonate with that.
2: Exactly.
0: And so it, it's almost like it's a two-pronged thing, what you were talking about. Like when you can stand in that, you'd start to radiate differently. That's it. And then when you, not only that, so you start to just like, there's something about you that people want to be around. That's it. And at the same time, you you have clarity around exactly who is it that you are right,
2: to be around. Right, right. And also you have clarity around what you're good at, right? Like I think so often we're like, I'm a meditator, but really I am ADD and I can't sit still. You know what I mean? So maybe dancing and meditation is better for you, you know, which dance is meditation, movement form. But I mean, let me just kind of touch on the values, interests, and abilities concept. Why? Because I think it's really important as part of your going in process. So my mantra for community building is you have to go in to go out. you have to go inside of yourself to go outside of yourself. You know, we do this type of proctology exam for our professional lives, right? Like, and we do it for our romantic partners. Like, they have to be perfect. Whenever I ask my girlfriends, like, what they're looking for, they they want to be funny, they have to be tall, they have to be handsome, they have to be this, they have to be that, you know, whatever. And I'm just like, okay, what is their energy like? Like, let's stop looking at the physical. Like, how do they make you feel? You know, what is their energy like? And and then all of a sudden the, the conversation stops and it's like, oh, right. And it becomes like less about like the transactional thing and it's more about the the energetic thing. So the same thing with your values, your interests, and your abilities, like right, like you sit down and you actually ask yourself, like, what do I value? And you you kind of have to Google values, like what is a value anyway, right? So that's what I have you do in the book anyway. It's like Google, you know, I give you a bunch of values as well, but I'm like, look, there's hundreds of values to pick from. But take the time to write down what do you, what are your personal values? What are you personal what are you interested in, you know, exploring as a human being? Not what the press and media says, not what your mom and dad want you to do, but what you as an, an authentic, unique human unicorn that you are is is interested in. And then what are you good at? Like what are your abilities? Is are you naturally good at taking out the trash? Because that's an ability that my fiance does not have. <laughs> you know what I mean? And like, but he's incredible at cooking and he's amazing at understanding everyone's point of views you know he's incredibly patient he's like so many abilities that 99% of people don't have and I have abilities that 99% 99 of people don't have as well and we all have you have abilities that you know 99% of people don't have and each of us have these incredible beautiful abilities and yet we don't sit down and ask ourselves "Hmm, how does that how can I contribute my abilities to a community Right? Like, how can I contribute my ability to be patient, my ability to cook, my ability to take out the trash, my ability to draw, my ability to ask questions like you are right now in this podcast? How can I use that ability to deepen and grow my community in a more meaningful way? You use it for your to build a business. You use it for so many other, again, transactional things. But if you just use your abilities to create community, then all of a sudden it becomes this like wonderful freeing experience, not a stressful, anxiety-inducing experience of where are my people at? You yeah. Know? I
0: mean, it's so interesting too, because I think I wonder often why we don't do that. Why so many of us don't do, even if we do the self-inquiry and the self-knowledge and we get it, we don't turn around and say, okay, so how do we, how do we find, how do we connect with, how do we contribute to community? And I'm so curious what your thought on this is, because, because I, I think my sense has been that we don't understand how important belonging and community is until we re-experience it on a true level. Like we, I mean, and you write about this in your book, right? And this is like, belonging is a physiological and a psychological need. Like when we don't have it, we wither on the vine and, and eventually die. Yet, I don't think we realize that. I think we walk around in anxiety and pain because we don't understand how much this matters. Is that your experience too?
2: A thousand percent. A thousand, that that is that is the honestly the root cause of all of our suffering is our lack of belonging. And and there's a, f- a few things to add there, but it's like, think about when you leave your mother's womb, you went from literally being inside of somebody else in complete belonging to a like cold, bright like world where maybe someone took you away from your mother to, with forceps and now you're wrapped in some foreign blanket. So you literally went from Complete, one hundred percent engulfed belonging to separation and isolation from the moment you're born. Right, the moment you come to the world, you're you're isolated and you're separated. So you spend your entire life looking for the feeling of going back inside the womb, never to find it again. Right. So it sounds morbid, right? But it's not because that's actually the human experience of looking for the womb again. And the good news is, it's, it you can find it again if again you understand that that's a the human condition of our need to belong we need to find the womb again and if we can find it if we can create an environment where we find our our, our the womb again then we then we will lead a happy and healthy life i mean cr- two crazy stats for you one in four americans have no friends to confide in this number has tripled in the last 30 years and that harvard came out with a study that shows that having poor social connections is as harmful to your physical health as being an alcoholic and twice as harmful as obesity, so you know it, there's all these studies that are coming out now that show that you know yeah, that it's, it's the center of everything. It's the center of everything. Yeah,
0: it's yeah. funny. In, in your book, you you kind of reimagine Maslow's hierarchy with belonging being like at the base and then flowing through everything. It's funny because I was looking back in my notes from a couple of years ago and I drew a picture of Maslow's hierarchy as a diamond because when you look at it traditionally, there are like five levels and yeah. belonging is in the middle. I was like, no, this is like this is actually a diamond. Like belonging in the middle is the biggest thing. And then like it goes up and down, but everything emanates
2: from that. Ladders like, from that. Yes, exactly
0: right. It's the same sort of like I saw your reimagining. I'm like, yep, same thing. Like, <laughs> yes. we, we drew it a little bit differently, I know. but fundamentally it's the same stuff. And we just don't and 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 simultaneously, like while we you know, we don't acknowledge it. And then at the same time, all the places where we used to find it. Used in, in you for, so right. used to find it in the company you worked for. Not so much anymore. You used to find it in faith-based organizations, in schools. It's all going away. Totally like a social media. Yeah. So it's like what you are doing with Daybreaker is you're you're providing this like thing, which is nourishing on such a deep human level. So
2: here's a quick definition for you that can be really helpful for you and, and all your listeners as well. So people use the word community today. Like we need to find community, community. Community is all the buzzwords, all the rage. But it's being bastardized already, like the word organic, you know, like community is now another word for how many users can you get, or you know, how who you can market to, right? Whereas so so I think of community actually as a container for so it's it's a it's a it's a space. Community is a space and a container in which you experience belonging. So belonging is the feeling that we're going after, whereas community is the container in which you experience that feeling, right? So if instead of Trying to create community, we're trying to create a community where you experience belonging. That is actually the 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 real antidote to our our suffering in the planet. Yeah, we're so focused on the mechanism rather than the experience, the feeling, the the energy. Yeah, Yeah, exactly, exactly. So when you
0: think about, and this is stuff that you write about, when you think about, okay, so what actually has to be present for you to have that feeling? What are the ingredients of that recipe?
2: Yep. So I don't know if you, um, so I coined this term, which I think is really wild that no one has ever put it together. But I was like, you know, late night, 2 a.m. And I was just like, you know, thinking about what are the ingredients that create the most wonderful, authentic community experience that inspires a sense of belonging. And I wrote down the four happy brain chemicals, you know, dopamine, oxytocin, serotonin, and endorphins. And what do they spell? Dose. Dose. Can you believe it? So that it was just like, it's like some scientist put that, but didn't even realize that the word that we use to medicate ourselves, to drug ourselves, right? Dose is actually something that we can access with our own mind if we just practice Jedi mind tricks, you know? Why are those four things important? What is Hk Vice? So so yeah, so yeah. dopamine is the pleasure reward, right? So you feel kind of the dopamine rush when you're accomplishing a task or listening to music. So, you know, Daybreaker, you feel that dopamine rush from waking up at 6 a.m. for everyone else does. You're like, holy crap, it's dark outside. I'm waking up to butt crack at dawn. I'm going to this dance party and listen to music, which is, you know, both of which give you wild and wonderful dopamine rushes. So that's the pleasure rewards. You can get that from anything that you do as it relates to going creating an event and showing up to that. Like that's the dopamine rush of of dressing up for the thing and going to the thing. Like there's a rush in in that pleasure reward, right? The oxytocin you get from touch, you know? It's like, you know, humans are so starved for affection. Americans are the number one porn viewer in the world. And yet we're also the most starved. Like a study came out that On average, Puerto Ricans and Mexicans touch each other upwards of 130 times in a conversation, whereas Americans touch each other upwards of once in a conversation, and yet we are the most porn-watching country in the world. So it just says, the Brits touch other zero times in a conversation, by the way. But yeah, it is a it is an interesting world. So oxytocin, we get at Daybreaker. In any dance, any human-to-human experience, you're going to get a handshake of someone, a, a hug, hello. At Daybreaker, we have a hugging committee on your way in, so every single person... Gets a hug. And I actually am usually the hugger now at Daybreaker. So I've probably hugged tens of thousands of people in five years, probably hug 400 people at an event each time before I'm you know, relieved from my duty, four or 500 people. And I love it because I people go from this space of like, I deeply needed that to like, thank you to crying on my shoulder to looks of bewilderment of like waking up early in the morning my first time here I came by myself to wow thank you for welcoming me so it was such, like I've seen thousands of faces go from kind of lost or sad or whatever to joyful grateful thankful and and just shows how how much just a simple hug can do for, for one another so the oxytocin is actually what makes us human and it is what we need to survive and thrive. And yet we don't have nearly enough of it. So that's the oxytocin release. The serotonin you get from feeling a sense of worth. And you get that sort of the serotonin dump when someone's, you know, when you're on Molly, you're like, you're the best. I love you so much. La, 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 you know, but that you can get also just from having an MC at Daybreaker telling you how to stop judging yourself. This is bigger than you. Just dance and let go. We're all here together. We're on this crazy spinning planet, you know, and, and we have this incredible, trained MCs across the world who really are kind of self-help MCs who help you get out of your shell while also motivating you to have the best time, you know? So that serotonin rush happens from those moments and from really being a part of one person in a bigger community and feeling like, holy crap, like this is such a wild transformative moment to be part of this community of, of sober humans, you know, all dancing and exalting together. And then the endorphins, of course, you get from the runner's high, from working out, from sweating. And you burn upwards of 500 to 1,000 calories. if not more, you know, at Daybreaker one, twice a month. So in 23 cities all around the world. Yeah, it's
0: amazing. So, so, you've got, us. Yeah. so you've got these these four things, which are all really important. And they're all part of the sort of belonging experience. They're part of the thing where you say you feel belonging. Like totally. Well, there's all,
2: there's another ingredient yeah. that I haven't shared, and it's it's a big one. This this is actually the 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 real sort of trick. It's 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 a few things. That belonging lives at the intersection of mystery and safety. And that's a little bonus. Not in my book, actually. I forgot to put that in there, but it's kind of a big one. I was like, crap. But that belonging lives at the intersection of mystery and safety, and what that means is. Daybreaker is the reason why we've, run, we've been around for five years already, you know, we're growing leaps and bounds or half a million community members and and growing thousands every day is because... There's the safety in knowing that our events are going to be beautifully produced, that there's a safety in knowing that our food and beverage is going to be delicious. There's a safety in knowing that we're going to have amazing performances and an awesomely positive DJ and great MC, really good decor. Just like the experience is going to be awesome. The people that are going to be amazing. Type person who comes to Daybreakers, A-type personality who's going to... You know, just it's self-selecting. It's a filtering community. It's not the negative Nancy's who wanna come and dance at six am sober. You know, it's a joyful group of people who wanna come and, and be a part of it, or at least an optimistic group of people who also want to change their own lives. Maybe they're having some struggles, but they wanna come and change their own. So 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 the safety of knowing that. And then the mystery of where is it gonna be next? Who's going to be the DJ? What's the theme? Yeah. Wait, who are the performers? You know, so we, we're we always changing venues every time. We're always changing DJs every time. We're always changing the decor, the theme every single time. So we live in a time where I don't want to go back to the same place over and over and over again. You know, the attention span of an American is eight seconds or less, millennial, more likely. And, and so the, 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 the idea is that if we can, community can sustain at the intersection of mystery and safety. Mm, no, I love
0: that. It makes total sense. The so you are building this company, you're building this community, you're building this global uplifting experience. And you decide to write a book.
2: <laughs> I know. I felt possessed. Which
0: is, you know, it's beautiful. I I love there's the, you can see it's like sitting here on my lap and there are little things sticking out of it all over the place. Cause there's just so much I want to revisit in it. And I and I do think we are in this moment where we are starved for belonging and for, for community, but really for belonging. And we don't know how to get it. We don't know what to look for. We don't know what to say yes or no to. And it, and it really helps guide you and understand that. Why, why, would, why did you feel the need to write this now? I mean, like you've got crazy amounts of stuff going on in your life already and writing a book is no easy thing. So what makes you say like, oh, now is time to actually set aside a chunk of my emotional, energetic and personal bandwidth to do this.
2: Yeah, this was definitely the hardest thing I've ever done in my entire life, but I really felt possessed after the elections, to be honest with you. I was just really, it, it felt like 9-11 had happened, you know, and I just felt like I had all this knowledge from five years of building these incredible, joyful communities, have in- inspired these spaces where people have met their best friends or wives or husbands or roommates, There, you know, just, just, the, and, and here, here I am with all of these secrets and, People emailing me once a week, twice a week, three times a week, asking to have coffees, which, which I often did, but one hour coffee is never enough to just share everything I know. One hour conversation with you, even here on this podcast is never enough. So I want to just, you know, we can talk a lot about belonging right now, but the goal is, Hey, if there's something that speaks to you here's a book in which I have literally open source everything. Here's exactly what we did at Daybreaker. Here's the type of container, the space that we've built. Here's our tips and tricks for what we did. Here's our value system. Here's what we've, you know, here's how we've created a robust community. Here's what you can do in your personal life as well to create your dream community. And, and I just felt really like suicide hotlines aren't the answer. You know what I mean? Like, like that's what everyone's posting right now is that's the last resort, you know, like those types of sort of, sort of places are last resort places. Like if we can actually teach each other how to belong in this world, we'll never need a suicide hotline, right? Like, again, these types of things become these band-aid issues when we can be totally dealing with the root cause early on. So I just felt like, just, I just felt like possessed. I just was like, I just felt like we need, there, there isn't a guidebook, a simple step-by-step guidebook that teaches you exactly how to make friends and build a community from scratch, or evolve your community if you have one and want to continue scaling it. And every book I'd bought was written in a way that was very academic, was written with just black and white words on a page. And I'm a very visual person. I can't read very well, to be honest with you. Like I in like I don't I get bored. So my book, you know, I illustrated every page as well with my friend. Yeah. And 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 the whole idea is that the book is an experience in the same way that Daybreaker is an experience. Like you're ex- you're participating in the book. There's twenty exercises in the book for you to participate in. You're I want you to write in the book and get dirty inside of it and rip pages out and share it with friends. And you know, I want you to, you know, turn the page really anticipating what the next silly illustration or fun, you know, sophisticated thing I'm gonna share or whatever, you know. And I also s I also hit a secret Easter egg in the book as well. It's a key code that unlocks an experience in the real world. So for the first like 200 people who unlock the key code and enter it into belongbook.com, they will have the first access to, be, ours would be to this wild event that I'm putting on, and I'll be hosting for 200 people here in New York City. So very cool. you'll have to find it. <laughs> I'm not giving any hints. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you and I could
0: geek out on so much of this for so long. It feels like a good time for us to come full circle. So we're hanging out here in this this thing called the Good Life Project. So if I offer out the the, the phrase to live a good life, what comes out for you?
2: Oh my gosh, to live a good life is to be sharing it with others who fill your tank up, like with an equal energy exchange. A good life is is completely shared, you know, truly. Thank you. Yeah.
0: Thank you so much for listening to this episode and thanks also to our fantastic sponsors who help make the show possible. You can check them out in the links that we have included in today's show notes. And while you're at it, be sure to click on the subscribe button in your listening app so you never miss an episode and then share the Good Life Project love with friends. When ideas become conversations that lead to action, that is when real change takes hold. See you next time.